This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 of Up the River by Oliver Optic A Lively Chase In a few minutes our bow and stern lines were fast to the wharf where the shepherds were waiting for their steam yacht. Owen leapt ashore before the vessel was fairly alongside, though he had not yet come to a full comprehension of what had happened. He knew something was the matter, but he could not tell what it was. As soon as the Sylvania was made fast, I went on shore. Colonel Shepard seemed to be bewildered, for Owen had just told him the islander had gone down the river. The rest of the family were quite as much astonished as the husband and father. Chloe, the colored servant, was actually wringing her hands as though she feared another conspiracy was about to be developed. "'Where is the islander, Captain Alec?' asked the colonel as I presented myself before him. "'She has gone down the river, and the last I saw of her she was shaking out her fore topsail,' I replied. "'But what does that mean?' added Colonel Shepard with a frown. I'm sure I don't know, sir. She got under way about half-past six. I supposed Captain Blastblow was about to make a turn or two in her before he ran up to the wharf. It is now quarter-past seven, and the islander is still making her way down the river. You can see her across the land, though only her spars are in sight. I pointed out the tampering mask of our consort, if she was to be our consort, in the distance. Presently she disappeared before a forest of pine. "'I don't understand it at all,' said the perplexed owner of the stray yacht. "'What does Captain Blastblow mean by treating me in this manner, when I ordered him to be at this wharf precisely at seven? "'I can't explain it, sir,' I replied. "'There is clearly some misunderstanding about the matter.' "'You saw me write the card at the post office last night, Captain Alec and I sent it off by the young man who was with you. Yes, sir, Nick Boomsby took the card, and I have no doubt he delivered it, for he came on board of the Sylvania towards night. I think Captain Blastblow intends to return soon, I added, for I could not think of any explanation of his singular conduct. I certainly could not reason out any plausible occasion for such a violation of his orders as that in which he seemed to be engaged. Perhaps he has run off with the yacht, and intends to become a pirate or something of that sort, suggested Gus Shepard. Nonsense, my son. The islander is not an armed vessel, and Captain Blastblow is not a pirate, replied Colonel Shepard. Do you suppose anything was out of order on board of the steamer, Captain Alec? It is possible, if such was the case, the captain would hardly have gone so far down the river, I replied. If the islander had needed any more repairs, Captain Blastblow would have remained in Jacksonville and attended to them. Perhaps he wishes to become better acquainted with the vessel before he takes her to sea, added the colonel. He might have done that yesterday. He would not have waited until you were ready to sail and then gone off on an experimental cruise, I answered. An experimental cruise, exclaimed Owen. What a terrible expression. I hope Captain Blastblow don't use such expressions. If he does, he has gone out to sea where he can have room enough to unsnarl his tongue. 
Captain Blasblow is an American, and he is used to such little trials, I replied. What shall be done? asked Colonel Shepard. I think you had better go on board of the Sylvania with your baggage, and we will stand down the river, I replied promptly, for I had kept this idea in my mind for some time. We can at least follow the islander, and when we come up with her, you can go on board of her. Are you sure you can overtake her, Captain Alec? asked Colonel Shepard with a smile, as though he had some doubts in regard to the relative speed of the two seam yachts. Captain Blasblow is confident that he can outsell the Sylvania. I don't say that he cannot, but if he does, he has learned a new trick in handling her, I answered with energy. I've sailed the Sylvania against the islander on the Great Lakes more than once, and I have not found the time when I could not beat her. Her new captain claims to be a very skillful man in handling steamers, added the colonel. If you and your family will come aboard, sir, I will do the best I can to overtake the islander and ascertain what the conduct of her captain means. If we have anything like fair play, we shall overhaul the islander sometime today, I continued confidently. We are both well down in the water, with our coal bunkers and water tanks full. She is nearly an hour ahead of us now, and her captain was hurrying all he could. Owen was delighted with the decision of Colonel Shepard when he accepted my invitation. He had regained his divinity, and he conducted her on board of the Sylvania while the colonel assisted Mrs. Shepard. Owen escorted Miss Edith to the pilot house, and her mother went down into the cabin, for the morning was rather raw and chilly. Margie took her dear friend to her heart and hoped the Sylvania would never overtake the islander. You must let the other steamer keep ahead, Captain Alec, said Margie as I took my place at the wheel when the baggage had been put on board. That would be treason to the Sylvania and treason to Colonel Shepard, I replied as I rang the bell to start the steamer. I knew the river well enough to go ahead confidently, and I had given the chief engineer a hint as to what I expected of him. In a few minutes the little steamer was buzzing along at the rate of eleven miles an hour. The only thing I feared was fog, and there seemed to be great banks of it off in the direction of the mouth of the river. Mr. Washburn, I called through the window in front of me. On deck, sir, replied the mate. Call all hands and set the fore topsail. Aye, aye, sir, responded Mr. Washburn. I knew there would be no lack of zeal on his part when we came to an out-and-out race. All hands usually consisted of the two deck hands. But Ben Bowman, the second fireman, and the cabin waiter were available when there was any extra work to be done. Buck Lingley and Hop Tosford, the deckhands, were sent aloft by the mate to loose sails, while the others manned the halyards and the braces. In a very short time the topsail was drawing full, and the speed of the vessel was sensibly increased. Mr. Washburn, I called. On deck, sir, responded the mate. Set the foresail. The crew made quick work of it. Now the mainsail, Mr. Washburn, I continued. The wind was quite fresh, and the fore and aft sails called the steamer to heel over considerably when the puffs came, as they generally do in a southwesterly breeze. You will tip us over, Captain Alec, cried Miss Margie, who had not been at sea in Sylvania. 
"'I won't do anything of the kind, Miss Tiffany,' I replied with a laugh. "'I shall not drown myself for the sake of drowning you. I am very sure. "'Mr. Washburn, on deck, sir. "'Set the fore to gallant sail.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' chuckled the mate, who understood that I meant business by this time. "'Pray, which is the fore top gallant sail, Captain Alec?' asked Miss Margie. It is the highest sail we can set on the foremast. Though larger vessels have a royal sail above that, then a sky sail, I replied. Mr. Washburn, on deck, sir. Now give us the four square sail and run up the jib. The last order was to set the main gaff topsail, and then we had all sail on. We turned the bend of the river just after the last sail had been set, which gave us the wind over the starboard quarter. I was confident we were making twelve knots an hour, and the skillful firing of Philander Perkins was soon made to do even better than this. The water ferry roared at the bow as the vessel cut through it. The young ladies in the pilot house ceased to talk, and Miss Margie held on at the wheel with both hands. It was lively selling, but there was no danger, and I told the fair maiden so many times. We all kept a sharp lookout for the islander, but as yet we saw nothing of her. She had at least ten miles the start of us, and it was likely to be a long chase if she continued on her course. I wanted very much to get a sight of her when we reached the bar at the mouth of the St. John's, so as to determine what course she took. No progress whatever had been made in solving the problem of the islander's sudden departure without her owner and passengers. We could not imagine any motive on the part of her captain for his singular conduct. My father and Colonel Shepard talked about the matter all the time, but in the absence of any data they could not get ahead a particle. In an hour and a half by the watch we were in sight of the bar. The weather looked thick and nasty outside, and there was not the slightest sign of the islander. But we were still in the river, and our view to the north and south was obstructed by the trees and shrubs on the shores. It was plain enough to me by this time that Captain Blasblow had no intention of returning to Jacksonville for his passengers. I kept the Sylvania on her course over the bar, and it was a full tide. I had no fear of taking the bottom. We kept on our course till we had made a good offing. Though the fog had not settled down near the bar, vast piles of it were floating in the air. The question now was whether the islander had gone to the north or the south. I had given the wheel to Hop Tosford, and I was using the glass very industriously in all quarters of the horizon. Sail ho! shouted Buck Linkley, who had taken his station on the cap of the foremast. "'We're away!' I shouted, sticking my head out of the side window of the pilot house. "'Right! On the starboard beam!' replied Buck. As the fog lifted a minute later, I got a glimpse of the sail. "'It is the islander!' I shouted, not a little excited. "'She is going to the southward!' "'I can't understand it,' said Colonel Shepard, shaking his head. "'Does Captain Blasblau mean to run away with the vessel?' No one could tell what he meant. End of chapter.